Why should we be talking about entrapments? Uh, the fire service in general likes talking about them. Why do we like talking about them, you think? There, there's some aspect of the hero, you know what I mean? Like the 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 danger. The They, they make movies about it. You know, they don't make movies about not putting the chalk block behind it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that aspect for... Um, it's the risk element. It's that danger. It's that hero. We put our life on the line. We, you know what I mean? The, what we're talking about when we say that is we risk getting overrun by fire. Like, whoa, the dragon, and we're going to get in front of the beast. <laughs> and all of that stuff. The, the undertone is, yeah, I'm kind of a badass because I go out there and deal with this big, ugly, dangerous thing that could overrun me and kill me. This is the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center podcast. I'm Alex Victoria, Assistant Center Director of the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center here in sunny Tucson, Arizona. For this week's podcast, Travis and I go into the archives back to January of 2018 when he and I recorded a great conversation on a tough topic. You might want to have your NWCG glossary handy. Google it. Today, we're talking about entrapments. Let's flash back now to the second week of January 2018. It was warm in Tucson. Travis and I should have been out in the desert riding bikes or scouting for deer. But we were inside talking about entrapments. One of the main reasons why we were having this conversation had everything to do with the 2017 Annual Incident Review Summary. Have you seen it? Check it out. It's 10 pages of incidents and lessons from the 2017 fire season. One of the things that emerged... In this analysis, which is primarily Travis's job here at the Lessons Learned Center, is an interesting trend that we've noticed for years and years. Firefighters and even those who are tasked with reviewing close calls and near misses are very hesitant to use the word entrapment, the E-word. Why is that? Before we get there, let's take a look at entrapments in 2017. Back in the second week of January 2018, Travis was in the midst of his analysis. And some of the numbers he shares here don't match up exactly with what's in the final 2017 summary. Regardless of the specific numbers, the broader points about entrapments are still relevant. Let's get into it. 2017 was a big year for reported entrapments. And the majority of those that were reported chose not to use the word entrapment when they reported them. They said things like egress compromised or um what were some of the other ones um i think there was actually a a deployment shelter deployment that wasn't talked about as a as an entrapment um burnover that one i i i you know i think that's just maybe that's just language you know whatever people use but even that um i think is it's possible that somewhere in there there's um, resistance to using the word entrapment. Somehow entrapment is a dirty word where burnover isn't. Um, but entrapment is definitely something you do not want to uh, accuse somebody of. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that it might be an outgrowth of 
you know, the kinder, gentler, the FLA, you know, hmm. hey, nobody that that this might this shift in language might actually be part of that. Because if we're going to be, you know, nicer to the people that these bad things happen to, um, then why would you go throwing them under the bus and saying that they were entrapped when actually they just had to, you know, scramble a little bit or they had to wait. They had to, you know, let a let a pulse go by or they, they found an alternate uh, safety zone or, you know what I mean? They just had they just took a little heat. You know, all of these hedge words um, is really a social thing. Hey, man, I'm not going to I'm not going to say you were entrapped says the writer of the report Mm -hmm. to gain credibility with the person they're working with, (laughs) the person that was actually in there dancing around trying to get away from some fire that um, completely cut them off from their plan. Which is? That's an entrapment. An entrapment. Yeah. yeah. If what you planned didn't work out, you know, if you had to go anywhere other than your plan or your escape route timing wasn't, you know, I can't remember what the words are in the in the definition. Remember how I said you might want your NWCG glossary handy for this conversation? Well, if you haven't looked it up, I'll save you the trouble. The NWCG glossary defines entrapment as... A situation where personnel are unexpectedly caught in a fire behavior related, life-threatening position, where planned escape routes or safety zones are absent inadequate, or compromised. An entrapment may or may not include deployment of a fire shelter for its intended purpose. These situations may or may not result in injury. They include near misses. And in 2017, we received 20 reports that meet that definition I just shared with you. Of these 20 reports, only four included the word entrapment. Yeah, that's an entrapment. It's funny, like some of the some of the hedge words used to try and avoid the word entrapment actually use the words in in the definition of entrapment. <laughs> Escape route compromised. Well, sounds yeah. like sounds like you've taken part of the definition of entrapment. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's really important to to emphasize the fact that I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying to like just be a Jerk face. You know, just like, nope, actually you were entrapped, you were entrapped, you were entrapped. That's not the whole point. The point is is actually that bigger that bigger thing about this is way more common. We need to we need to rectify the words. We need to say what it is that's happening so that we can actually deal with it. You know, it's an awareness thing. If we keep kind of putting it under the rug, we're not ever gonna be able to deal with the the reality. Um that hey this this happens a lot and it's scary it is scary how common this is um for me personally as a practitioner you know i'm out there doing it Mm -hmm. i'm not immune to anything Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what checklist i have or how dialed i am i am not immune to shit you know there's it's it's scary Mm -hmm. when you start actually you know, and, and that is actually, to me, that's progress. That's where we're actually going to gain some ground mm-hmm. is by acknowledging what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just happens a lot. Some would argue that's the, that's the price of fighting fire aggressively. Mm-hmm. 
The way we do it. The way we do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we can talk all about Canada and Australia and they don't use fire shelters and they have entrapments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more about, um, I, I, I have no idea if they have entrapments at the level that we do. Um, of course, there's drastically different numbers of people involved in fire. Um, and I'm sure you could figure that out somehow. But um, I think it has to do with tactics. Mm-hmm. Like we <laughs> we fly people into the middle of nowhere or we drive way out. You know what I mean? We get deep out. We get in front of it. We get out there in um, rough country. We, You know what I mean? We go after things. We don't hang out on the roads. Um, we don't only go to water. Like we... we get in front of it would it's just it's aggressive mm-hmm. um and that's part of the that's part of the equation there mm-hmm. um, and we we like it we mm-hmm. like the fact that this happens because mm-hmm. it makes us more badass mm-hmm. that's why people sign up mm-hmm. like there's nothing tougher than you know taking on the beast or whatever i don't know it's mm-hmm. like i said i'm kind of i'm actually kind of tired of talking about it <laughs> right <laughs> at some point i want to capture the story you shared with Brett and i the other day um if you're willing uh to talk about one of the one of your first acts is at that lessons learn center and i think in order to tell that story you might have to tell another story if you don't want to do that today that's okay yeah uh, um but uh I, th- I think that's, that illustrates that, uh, d- as you just alluded to, you're not immune to some of this stuff, um, much less thinking about entrapments the way I think lots of people think about entrapments, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, um, I'm not immune to any of this stuff. Like I said before, I've never written about or talked about anything that wasn't completely and entirely about me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Right. I'm talking about me and my experience. Mm-hmm. And I think I happen to be... Fairly common, fairly regular, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? My, my, um, um, I don't know. I think there's people that would argue with whether or not my perspective is, <laughs> is a common one. But what you're getting at is my experience with, um, Wagon Box, which is, um, it, it was, it was an entrapment. Um, and. Okay. I got to cut in here. Travis is about to tell a really powerful personal story. When I asked him to do so, I paused for a moment, knowing that it's not always a walk in the park to relive some of these experiences. If you choose to listen to Travis's story here, I want to kind of give you a bit of a warning. Travis and I debated whether or not we should do this, a a trauma trigger, a trigger warning, a content warning. I'm not always sure what I think when I see that on TV or hear it on the radio. Maybe sometimes I think people are just too sensitive. Knowing what I know about traumatic injuries, especially burn injuries that wildland firefighters suffer, however, has kind of given me a different perspective on this. So with that, Travis is going to tell a story. It's somewhat graphic. If you want to listen, go for it. If not, you can fast forward around this story. Suffice it to say, Travis was involved in an entrapment in 1999 in Nevada as a member of a hotshot crew. It was an entrapment, actually several, 
and fellow crew members were seriously burned. If you'd rather not listen to Travis's story, go ahead and fast forward now to about 13 minutes and 33 seconds. I was on the crew with, there was burn injuries, there was a serious accident investigation, it was 1999, um, I was on a hotshot crew, and there was actually um, multiple entrapments on this one um, push, and um, and there was some traumatic thing, I heard uh, fellow crew members screaming uh, because they were being burned. Um, they they came out. Um, I guess I could tell the the whole story from my perspective, which is not um, the same perspective of of everybody that was there. Um, you know, I was just I was a seasonal crew member, and um, and one of the one of the fellow crew members that I could hear screaming came down out of the smoke right back to where I was, and you know they were all holding their hands up in the air. Um, none, most of the people that got burned weren't wearing gloves. So, um, and their hands had that just kind of burned look about them, almost like it's not exactly like skin dripping, but kind of like that. And I remember, um, uh, one of my, uh, fellow crew members putting, putting his hands in, in the little tiny Creek that was there. And there's little pieces of, uh, skin that, that floated away. Um, and then we had to hike from there back to the trucks and, uh, bandage them up and uh it yeah it was it was a traumatic event people got burned we got a lot of people pointed fingers um and uh the the um accident investigation was fairly typical for the time which um felt very accusatory and um and like a lot of people that was a source of a lot of my angst around reviews and investigations everybody has that story hey i was there and they came in and pointed fingers and called us bad firefighters and all this stuff so anyway i went on to work at a, on a fire use module and um you know an engine captain um all kinds of um jobs after that um but i was always highly sensitive to to uh that event wagon box and um, eventually, I got a job here at the Wildland Fire Lessons Learn Center as an analyst. And that was in 2009. Wagon Box happened in 1999. And uh, so 10 years later. 10 years later. I'm good at mathematics. And uh, so 10 years later. 10 years later, Dirtball Travis gets an analyst job. <laughs> you know, because nobody else applied or some weird fluke. I don't know. Um, cause they were smart. Um, and it always bothered me. I was uh, a periodic user of the lessons learned center prior, prior to getting my, um, job here. And I, I had always noted that wagon box was uh, listed as entrapment in the incident review database. And it just bothered me. Um, because I just didn't, I didn't see it as that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I could get into all kinds of reasons why I didn't see it as an entrapment, but, um, I just didn't. And when I got to the concern center, that was one of the first things I did. Once I learned how to use the incident review databases, I went in there and I changed, uh, 
I changed it. And, 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 um, I can't remember for sure, but it, the, the, um, I want to say that the, the report doesn't use the word entrapment. Wow. Okay. Um, and I had some sort of justification, um, and I changed it. I used my powers for bad, um, or <laughs> at the time I thought I was using my powers for good, but, um, um, whoops. Um, anyway, I changed, I went into the IRDB, the incident review database and changed wagon box from entrapment to something else. like a close call or something. Well, I, I'm looking at it and, uh, it's burn injury. Yeah. And I suppose this is, not, this is a weird opportunity, you know, we, <laughs> as we're talking about entrapments, you know, we could, um, we have the opportunity, like literally sitting here as we're recording this to, to, to re-tag this if we want to. Yeah. You and, know, you know, that's the thing is. Is yeah, it? A, yeah. It was a burn injury. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not wrong. Yeah. It's not wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the bigger deal, I think, you know, you, you could chase that all kinds of ways. And what I've said in about other events is, yeah, no, that the, the entrapment is the, is the thing that we're probably most concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, that our plan didn't work. It did not work. We, we had an escape route and we had a safety zone. I just, the fire had other plans. Um, and, uh, and it just didn't work. It moved too fast. We were, it was crazy that those folks were not able to get through that little, all they were going to do is cut off a little slop. And man, when that thing went, I, I happened to be on the, the good side of it. And, uh, man, when it went, there was just, there's nothing they could do, uh, except back up. And, and, you know, I guess the other, the other piece of that is we did have, it's not that we didn't have a safety zone. It's that the safety zone, we didn't realize that how narrow that Canyon was when that other side took off, that that radiant heat from the other side was going to be enough to cause burn injuries in, in the, um, safety zone. Mm-hmm. Because when, when, when it took off on the, on the North side of the road, it just slicked everything off and we were just like, sweet. Now we have good black. Mm-hmm. And it's, you literally step from the road into the black. And as soon as it cools down, man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And there's a little slop. Yeah. We'll go to the other side, start working on either side. And I was on the, on the, um, the side that was, uh, less hot. There was people on the, on the hotter side. And, um, and then when that thing went, they did what they had planned, which was retreat into the newly formed black on the North side of the road. But that heat coming off the South side was so intense that the people without gloves got burnt. Hmm. And that's a form of the plan not working. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, if we got the, the entrapment lawyers in here, I guess, I guess they could kind of have a field day with it. Mm-hmm. Cause the safety zone like worked. They didn't, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, but again, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm one of many perspectives on, on that event. And, and that's true of every event. There's a lot of different perspectives. Um, 
and and those folks right there weren't the only only folks that uh that had to scramble a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> um so anyway that I, I i guess the point of that story is um like you said i'm not immune to it it's not it's not my motivation is not i want to prove to everybody that they're using the wrong words or that they're bad firefighters or anything like that. I want to, I want to bring up the, the conversation or, or instigate the dialogue around how common this is. And, and if we accept that this is much more common than we realize, what does that say about our way of doing business? You know what I mean? It's not, it's not long before we get to risk and exposure. Right. Um, right. And that, yeah, the, the way we do things and this whole notion that aggressive is the safest. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't know where I stand on that argument because that's, that's my comfort zone. I'd rather just, I'd rather be real close. That just feels good to me. Um, but it wigs me out that uh, entrapment is uh, is occurs to people as common as regularly as it does, mm-hmm. and that's not the only time I've been entrapped. A bunch of other times too, uh, if I use my my broad definition. Every time that we say, "Oh, I scrambled a little bit, I got pinched, I got uh, got cut off," or all those are all entrapments. Yep. Prescribed fire, wildfire. It's, yeah, one is not immune. Uh, one type is not immune. Um, we're just reading about some escape or some prescribed fire uh, stuff the other day that involved folks being entrapped. Yeah. You know, so. But choosing not to use that word. Right. For probably many of the reasons we just discussed. <laughs> yeah. Social so, stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of subconsciously knowing what that what that what that means culturally not what it means literally but what it means in our culture mm-hmm. especially a prescribed fire Let's come on man <laughs> you yep right mm-hmm. come on you can't pull two lines together you know mm-hmm. um and uh, entrapment tends to hover uh, in numbers wise um 10 percent of all entrapments that are reported tend to be on prescribed fires um i don't know what that really means we would need a lot more data i always wonder about what percentage of prescribed fire is fire what if prescribed fire is 10 percent of our interactions with fire as a whole what would that mean that fire really is fire right right exactly (laughs) planned event or not it's like you're literally playing with fire Uh and the way that we play with fire involves being cut off and having to scramble and in some cases dying by being overrun by fire. And it's not the way that we die. It's not the most common way that we die related to wildland fire. No. Um, but it happens to be big deal events. Right. Every so often. Right. It's catastrophic. And it really does, you know, it's the ultimate the heartstrings pull, you know what I mean? Hearing about somebody dying by entrapment feels different than hearing about somebody dying of a heart attack in camp 
or even getting hit by a tree. Right. Right. Uh, getting hit by a tree seems way more kind of like fate mm -hmm. or uh, unavoidable, you know. Freak. Freak accident, that type of thing. Entrapment is just, man, we like to talk about it partly because it's safe. Because the, the, the conclusion is typically they screwed up. Mm -hmm. And that's a comfortable place to be mm -hmm. because it's psychological, psychologically safe for me, the person talking about it. Because I can avoid that situation rather than, you know, the getting hit by a tree or a rock or a heart attack. What do you do about gravity? We don't have, a, we don't have 28 items on a checklist for gravity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's funny that the... The, the the most pointed two tools, 10 and 18, um, those are almost entirely about entrapment avoidance. Why is that? Obviously, that's not a data-driven thing. Mm -hmm. That's an emotional-driven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great story, and it's one that you should tell in detail at some point. But yeah, when you look at look back at our history, back into the I, – I, I point to some of the stuff that happened in the 50s where we, we had the big report – it says it was about burnovers and it was about entrapments, you know. Um, it was also about injuries as well. That's kind of a, a footnote. The initial, you know, they, uh, we used to have uh, 11 fire orders uh, and there was one that was specifically about injuries. Burn injuries in general, I think, is what they wrote it about. But, uh, yeah, there's a long history there. Suffice it to say, you know, 11 fire orders, then 10, 13 watchouts, now 18. It's all, they're all oriented at this this central element of what it is that we feel like we can control. Like that's fundamentally um, something um, that's what's at play here is this idea that this, this element of our work is controllable and plenty of people can point to their careers and look back in time and say, didn't happen to me and draw the conclusion that it didn't happen to me because, well, because I followed, I adhered to uh, not only was I aggressive, but I, uh, and I would say, bullshit. <laughs> it did happen to you. Right. Uh, if you spent any real deal time out there, it happened. You know, and I guarantee you've told stories about it too. Right. Because they're, are they the best stories? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have good stories, if you're doing this job and you don't have good st stories, you know, some would argue you're, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> or some would argue you're doing it right. I don't know. I guess there's two different ways to look at that. Yeah. But uh, it, when it comes time to tell stories, it's better to have a good one than not, I suppose. And uh, obviously, that's not why we do what it is that we do. Or actually, maybe it is. Maybe it is, you know, uh, consciously or otherwise. Uh, maybe that is a huge part of why it is that we do what we do. Do you have a story of a fire behavior related near miss or close call that you wouldn't describe as an entrapment? Do you call it an entrapment now? Regardless, stories like these can make the otherwise dry fire training come to life and be real. And what would the season ending crew party be like without stories like these? As harrowing and gnarly as some of them can be, there's great potential for learning in these stories. There's also potential for some lessons when we look at a collection of events. And back when we recorded this conversation, in the second week of 2018, Travis was still in the midst of his analysis for the 2017 Annual Incident Review Summary. Even as some of the 2017 numbers and reports kept coming in, Travis could still make a few noteworthy observations about entrapments in 2017. In addition, we try to tackle two big questions. So what? 
and what next? Let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, those are incidents that we, as the Lessons Learned Center, deemed entrapment. Right. We're the bad guys yeah. here on that deal. Yeah. Because people, again, you know, submitted reports that said um, that they were um, cut off or had to use a temporary refuge area or they had to um, do a precautionary deployment or they uh, their, their escape route was compromised or egress was compromised. And we said, okay, thank you, know, perfect. I went in and put a check in the entrapment column mm -hmm. because based on NWCG definition, plan didn't work. It's an entrapment. Um, and that, again, that's in, that's in an effort to, well, how do we put it in our mission statement? Reveal risk and complexity, risk and complexity in mm -hmm. um, the wildland fire environment. And mm -hmm. I feel like it's our duty to reveal that, um, and this is one of the ways that we can, that we can do that. Okay. Um, Moving forward, what would you, so let's say Travis is king. Um, <laughs> don't think about that too hard, <laughs> but, uh, with regard to entrapment, what do we, let's say, let's say we embrace your current perspective here. Cause it hasn't always been your perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, that's fair. Uh, things evolve. Let's say we do, we embrace what you would, would have us embrace. So what, what next? What do we do with that moving forward? Uh, we call entrapments entrapments. We mm -hmm. get to a place, we evolve, we mature, however you want to say it. What next? Yeah, we start to um, have that, uh, that discussion or that it, <clears throat> ultimately it would uh, affect how we engage. Right. And I don't know what that is because, I mean, we're talking about a whole cultural shift and we have no idea what that is. Um, I certainly don't. Um, but hopefully it matches reality. Just like, OK, so I, I see it as our collective situation awareness. Right. Situation awareness is by definition how closely your perspective matches reality. That's, you know. And people misuse that all the, all the time. So our collective situation awareness and, and the whole point of talking about situation awareness is that you are able to, um, more effectively make decisions if your perspective matches reality, right? It's just, that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like our collective situation awareness re regarded in, regarding entrapments is, is not very good. It doesn't match reality. So I don't know what we're going to do once we, once we get better SA, um, but we might actually say, hey, yeah, that, um, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. You know, let's not, let's not do that or let's not, um, or we just say, okay. Now we know. Now we know. We, we were moving forward with a more, same it, direction. We're still going. Absolutely. It's worth it. Right. Right. It's worth it. Um, and you know, maybe what that leads to is, um, better, uh, medical response, um, i.e. a more well-funded honor guard. Um, maybe that's the direction we go is acceptance and, um, acknowledgement and preparation. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we, 
Oh, maybe we don't change our tactics. Maybe we just say, you know what? It's worth it. Mm-hmm. This is just part of, this is a pro- the, the, we move from the cost to the price. <laughs> and, and you're, right. re- explain that for us real quick. <laughs> oh boy. That's a, that's a good one. Well, I think, um, um, we probably all heard sometimes people say, Hey, you know, that's the cost doing business. And I think cost is something that's delivered, um, after the fact and maybe the cost matches the estimate or not price is something you know in my mind it's something you know beforehand it's you you know it's the difference between uh you know dealing with uh dealing with somebody who's uh painting your house and you're not exactly sure how much it's going to be and you get the cost down the road versus you you go to the grocery store and you know your your box of wheaties is you know 349 or whatever bam there's a difference, you know, and it's, it's an orientation and it's one sort of forward looking and maybe one sort of, uh, maybe not so much forward looking. I don't know, but, uh, yeah. And, and knowing the price does, you know, it, theoretically you can say, you know what? I don't want the Wheaties. Right. Right. Whereas if you don't know until it's time to pay. Right. Exactly. You, you could, yeah, you could get to the checkout and go, Hey, look, that Wheaties, that's a thousand bucks, you yeah. know? But, uh, yeah, no, you, you can look and say, well, actually, I'd, I'd rather have the oatmeal. It's, whether it's cost or something else about what it is that you're engaging with. Um, and and that's, that's the important part of this conversation with, with entrapments is we may look and we may go, yeah, okay. Actually, the, the reality of entrapments is, you know, we expose, you know, X number of people per year, X number of pieces of equipment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we go... Yeah, no, and we're still good. We, we're okay with that. We now, we have a cleaner sense. We have more of a price-oriented sense. And we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, and it's it's possible that we can we can take some of the, the punch out of um, alienating people. Right. You know, maybe, maybe. That's we, another huge thing here. We, yep. could, we could just um, call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does happen. We we would obviously we want to invest in whatever we can to avoid that. At the same time, accepting the fact that it happens. Given the way we do things. Given the way that we do things, you know, we're going to protect structures. Guess what? (laughs) I mean, you're literally going out in front of a fire, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out whether or not you can do something, and then if you can, hanging out. You know. And at arguably, you could say, no, this is a safe spot. This is my safety zone. Therefore, if the fire burns around me, it's not an entrapment. I totally buy that logic. Mm-hmm. That happened. Um, if it turns out that your assessment was wrong and, and it ends up not being safe, that's your plan not working. You know, or if you, you it gets close to it and you go, ah, it's not feeling good. Let's go ahead and let's, let's get out of here. Your plan's not working. Um, even if you make it to some place mm-hmm. now that's a weird scenario um and um and maybe that's all it is is acknowledging that our our plans don't always work and sometimes they have um catastrophic events but it's funny even even reporting entrapments where nobody got hurt mm-hmm. like why why was it that we got reports saying why did somebody feel compelled to report an instance where somebody's egress was compromised Especially if they argue it's not an entrapment. Right. Why'd you report it? Mm-hmm. Why was this a big deal? Yeah. What's, mm-hmm. 
Is there something to learn? The insinuation or the assumption is we don't want, this isn't how we want things to happen. Right. This is a situation to be avoided in the future. Yeah. But it's not an entrapment. Yeah. Um, and that's where it, you know, it gets all, um, yeah, chances are if, if, if you wrote something down and you sent it to the lessons learned center and it had to do with, you know, fire moving fast, it, it's probably an entrapment. Mm-hmm. Safety zones, escape routes, Any close of that calls, stuff. All of that pinches, stuff. near misses, um, tight spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want that data and I want to learn from it because I don't like being entrapped. I don't like those tight spots. Mm-hmm. And it scares me more now than it ever has in the past. In the past, I just, you know, I didn't think much of it. To wrap up this conversation on entrapments, Travis had one final thought on training and the reality of entrapments. <laughs> we put a lot of effort into, into educating ourselves um, about avoiding entrapment. And somehow there's utility for me to acknowledge that we put all that effort and all that training and all this emphasis and, you know, so much of what we talk about is entrapment avoidance and it still happens all the time. That just illustrates how dynamic the environment is. And I don't think we give it full credence. There you go. Some thoughts from our view, our perspective on the concept of entrapments. What do you think? Are we on to something? Do you buy it? Are entrapments more common than we're perhaps all willing to acknowledge? Let us know. Give us a comment. Leave some feedback. And wherever you get the podcast, please leave us a review. They really do help. And as always, we love hearing from folks who listen to the podcast. Just today, in fact, we got another great postcard from the Tahoe National Forest in California. Thanks very much, Jennifer. Finally, and as always, thanks a ton for your time. Recently, Travis and I went to the grocery store. We were looking for some cereal. We were in for a surprise. Hey, look, that Wheaties, that's a thousand bucks. You know what? I don't want the Wheaties. (laughs) Good choice.